Loyal listeners, I was on vacation last week, so I don't have a new recording for you this week. I did notice when I came back that one of the original season one uh, sessions, for whatever reason, wasn't uh, carried over into the uh, the the list that we have. So I've edited some of this. Hopefully, it will come through. Uh, if you've already heard this guy, you'll 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 enjoy hearing him a second time. If you've not heard this guy, you're going to be uh, wonderfully surprised. This episode, you're going to meet Jimmy Doe, a very funny, insightful character who, as a cadet, was a national championship parachutist, cadet squadron commander. Uh, upon graduation, became a fighter pilot. Retired as a lieutenant colonel and then went on to become a distinguished FedEx pilot with an incredible air show story, as well as some other <laughs> hysterical things that you'll hear. I know you'll enjoy this one. Okay. All right. As long as you can hear me loud and clear, I can hear your questions. Yeah, you're and if fine. I, if and I, if I rattle on for a while, you have to shout to, to make me stop. <laughs> okay. Jimmy, stop. <laughs> okay. I can do that. So, so the first uh, question I always ask is, uh, what message do you have for the uh, current current cadets, the incoming class, the recent grads, and the old goats like us? Oh man, I tell you, there there might be even separate messages for those guys. But the uh, for the uh, incoming class, class of twenty twenty five, I guess you're kind of in BCT right now. Maybe if they still do that, congratulations. Uh, don't worry. Uh, there's not a day goes by. You don't want to quit, <laughs> but the, you got to hang in there because I tell you, the uh, the time you spend now and the experiences that you get carry on through your whole life. Uh, so the I guess probably the biggest thing I would tell uh, anybody that's uh, just coming in, that's thinking about coming, going to the Air Force Academy or uh, that's there right now. Uh, is hang in there. There is a light at the end of the tunnel and uh, try to take advantage of every opportunity that you, uh, that you can, because there, there, you know, the, the world can be your oyster. There's lots of stuff to do there. There's lots of training to get. Uh, there's lots of things that, uh, that seem like work, but they'll make you better and they'll make you really enjoy the next uh, 10 to 20 years of your life. And, and even beyond that, probably. No, absolutely. That's that's just uh, uh, when you're in the Air Force. But yeah, it, it absolutely set me up for not only my first career uh, as a pilot in, in the Air Force, but it set me up for my second career uh, as a commercial uh, pilot. And uh, now, you know, I, so I retired twice now, and then and I bought my <laughs> own airplane. And I'm still flying. So well, that's great. So. I know that you fell in love with uh, the flying part without an airplane around you. How did you pull that off? And can you tell us a little bit about that story? Yeah, that is, well, you know, to be honest, my, my dad uh, was, uh, he was in B-17s in World War II, but we knew very, very little about that, my brother and I growing up. Uh, and when we were little, he was in the Civil Air Patrol. Uh, so I can remember him taking us to the airport and uh, we'd stand around and watch airplanes come in and land and everything. But by the time I got old enough to appreciate it, uh, he had stopped doing that. So I really never uh, got to fly, believe it or not, until I got on a commercial airline and I left uh, Gainesville, Florida for Colorado Springs, Colorado. Uh, <laughs> so that was the first time I'd been on an airplane. Uh, and then as, as uh, luck would have it, 
uh, about, uh, well, whenever we did those Stardust flights, maybe six months later, maybe uh, eight months later, I can't remember exactly, but I got a, uh, what I thought was a fighter jet flight in a T-33 at the Air Force Academy during, a, during an orientation thing they used to do, and I was hooked, absolutely sold on flying, so um, did as much as I could while, while I was there. And then uh, well, I was trying to lean at the fact that you were on the uh, national championship parachute team. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. That, you know, that there is um, like, I, like I was saying, there's so many things to take advantage of there. It's kind of hard to pick. Um, when, uh, when I got there, I had, I laid out of high school for a year. Uh, so I stayed, I didn't go to the prep school or anything. I was trying to play professional baseball and uh, when I, when I, uh, yeah, you remember how short I was, but I, I did pretty well in baseball in high school and, uh, and everything. I figured I can do this. So I, I actually uh, was playing American Legion ball down in South Florida and got, uh, I actually got picked up uh, by a, back, back then, I believe it was the Kansas City Royals. I don't remember, but they didn't really have this 3A, 2A, 1A, whatever program they have now, they just had kind of farm clubs around. So the farm club for them down in Florida uh, picked me up and another guy. So I actually got to play with them for about a week <laughs> before I found out that I was not cut out to be good enough to play pro ball. So uh, I'd already applied for the academies and uh, got accepted to West Point. Uh, so, uh, I thought I was going to West Point. I don't know why, uh, it was during Vietnam. All my heroes from high school were, were, uh, in Vietnam and they were army guys. So, uh, that's what I was doing until about three days before I left. I got a, uh, I got a, a, a telegram from the Air Force Academy saying I'd been accepted, uh, last minute there uh, into the class of 1976. So, uh, I jumped on that. But, uh, when I got there, like, I, it's a long way around your question, but when That's I got right. there, uh, I, you know, there were so many things that opened my eyes. I, th I thought I was, you know, grew up in, in a university town. I thought I knew kind of what was going on. I had, I had no idea. I didn't know what a handball court, a real one looked like. I used to, we used to play handball against a wall. <laughs> uh, uh, you know, I found out what racquetball is. I found out what, uh, you know, uh, some of the some of the sports like cricket and all those things that you know they used to have clubs at the academy well yeah one of the things uh that i did i, I played baseball there for about uh, for my dually year but then i always my whole life i had a fear of heights and uh <laughs> believe it or not and uh <laughs> and i said uh hey this is the place where you learn how to conquer those things and so uh i did this uh First of all, we, we had this program in the summertime where we could go uh, do static line jumps with the Army at Fort Benning uh, Airborne School. And I did that. And, man, that, that was like flying to me. I, I was sold on it. And I, I realized, though, there was something better than just jumping out of an airplane on a static line and, and coming down under canopy. I, that was only half of it. So uh, I said, OK, I got to do some free fall. So what the academy, uh, or guess what the academy had a uh, a beginning free fall program, and so I said, well, heck, you know, I'm not paying for it. Let's go do this. So I tried that. Uh, you know, the anybody that tells you that's scary, they are correct. The first jump scared the crap out of me, but <laughs> the second the second jump was even worse because I knew what was going to happen. But, <laughs> 
<laughs> you know, it, what was great about it is that uh, that was felt like true flying to me. Uh, so I stuck with it. And uh, every summer, um, one of my programs would be, you know, moving up in the uh, the AM 490 program. They used to call it Airmanship 490 uh, to uh, 491, 2 and 3, uh, which ended up being where you were a jump master and an instructor in, in um, skydiving and, and parachuting. So uh, that's kind of, I wanted to conquer my fear of heights, but then when I started doing it, free fall, what, you know, it, it was just so much fun and uh, that I had to keep doing it. So I, I, I stuck with that. Uh, still, I did it some after I even graduated, believe it or not. So ended up getting, you know, four or 500 jumps, uh, uh, master or command jump wings and those kind of things. But my point is, is that there are other things that all you got to do is have a passion. You can fly and get your your uh, your flying license there in the Aero Club. You can do uh, soaring, sailplanes. You can hot air ballooning. Uh, I mean, it, it's just endless on the flying side and also on the uh, you know uh, chess clubs and and those kind of things. And I. Uh, I loved it. There were some really good guys I met there. The best part about being on the jump team was putting my classmates out of the airplane and seeing the look on their face uh, <laughs> when they when they got on the ground safely the first time. So uh, we were we were lifelong friends after that. I've had guys call me, believe it or not, 50 years later and saying that the trial of their lives was jumping out of that airplane when I when I told them to go and uh, that they remembered it like it was yesterday. So that was kind of rewarding. Yeah, I, I had one. I, I tried 490 for a while, made my one free fall, and then I got on Acro, so I got booted out of that thing. But that that was pretty exciting. The one, uh, the one free fall ride. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was, it was. But yeah, that and that Acro thing, man. I was on it most of the time. I was there, so I spent a lot of what they used to call those wackus. Yeah, uh, yeah. I used to uh, be in the room quite a lot. I, it's funny how much you can. Uh, uh, how much trouble you can get up into uh, when you're thinking all weekend in your room. So, so, so speaking of trouble, <laughs> oh, cool. I'm not going to, I'm not going to embarrass you with uh, this, the, what you taught me to do with the peanut butter jar, but I do want to know where did you come up with the idea of the atomic sit-ups? Okay. Yes. <laughs> well, you know, and my wife still doesn't, uh, doesn't believe that we actually did that. So <laughs> I tried to only tell a few people about the atomic setups. We learned about the atomic setup. Um, actually, believe it or not, is I, it was at a parachute meet in Canada. Uh, and there's some wild people up there. They had an all girl skydiving team, eager beavers. And uh, they were awesome. Some guys, some military guys, there were Canadian pilots, F-104s. Uh, we were in their club one night, and uh, one of their guys demonstrated the atomic setup. And uh, so I did not take that back to the squadron because, believe it or not, it it was already there. By the time I got to my uh, senior squadron, I, I guess now they do it differently. But we, you know, as you know, we were only in our dually squadron one year. Yeah. So my sophomore year is when I kind of found out that, hey, this is already kind of a tradition with the 36 squadron and it was those guys from 74 i believe it was um that i can 74 or 75 
that still did that. And we, uh, we tried it on a few guys and uh, thought that was pretty funny. So we kind of carried over. I got credit for some reason for being, I guess that'd be infamous uh, for, for introducing that, but actually that's, uh, that was already there when I, when I got to the 36 pink Panthers. Well, I think uh, that I, was only one of the things though. You remember, uh, of course you remember mooning, uh, well, where yeah, we, we, we honed we're, our, <laughs> we're, we're going to get into that in a minute. I wanted to, uh, stop you real quick and just, uh, give us a quick rundown of your dually year. It sounds like you're on the jock ramps as a baseball player. How was the dually year for you? Hey, I was, I was on the jock ramps part of the time, but that, back then, the uh, the only guys that got to be seriously on the jock ramps were the football team. And if you remember, if you were off season, which we were in baseball, you know, a lot of the year, you know, you're, it was normal, uh, you know, tables and everything. So uh, my duly year, uh, I remember it. I remember uh, being uh, homesick part of the time. I remember going to the library a lot uh, and the academics being kind of tough. And uh, kind of looking out the window to the east and wishing I was back home. And, uh, uh, you know, my, I'd call home and my parents would say, hey, uh, no problem. Come on home. We'll get you into the college here if you want to. And that somehow took the pressure off of me so I could, I could hang in there. But my dually year was in the 23rd squadron. We, we were called 23 Crash and Burn. And uh, <laughs> I got involved pretty quickly in not only the baseball thing, but in intramural boxing. And I uh, found out I enjoyed that. So um, I, I just, you know, for, you know, a lot of things that are dumped on you that, that are unfamiliar and maybe not just the hard academics, because I had a tough time in academics, uh, but I, even with a pretty good high school. Uh, but if you get something to do, it kind of uh, smooths over all the bad stuff that you're thinking during the dual year. Cool. And then, and then now, now for the introduction of the Pink Panthers, what, uh, what was that like for you? When was your first uh, signal that this was going to be a different crowd? Oh my, <laughs> that's, that's a real, that's probably, that's a great question. Actually. Um, I liked, I liked everybody in the Pink Panthers pretty much when I got over there, there were some guys, I guess it's just because of my dually year because of who, you know, your status in life, but the 23rd squadron, uh, at that time in the old norm, uh, you know, it had some assholes, I'm sorry, in, in, the, <laughs> in the upper class uh, that I, I really didn't look up to that much. But, I, uh, you know, when I got over to uh, 36, even if I had been a dually and uh, believe it or not, I've had duallys that were in that came in trained in our in our squadron. Uh, one of them I worked with at FedEx here uh, that have come up to me and say that was that was a very motivating group of people so i liked everybody uh the uh, class of 74 for sure were, were real leaders um but there was something different about the class of 76 guys and i couldn't put my finger on it except for i felt the spirit of a bicentennial uh kind of urging everybody to hang on and stay uh the other classes had an attrition rate which was pretty high i guess what starting off with 14 or 1500 and making it down to like eight, seven, something like that. Uh, I knew we would hang on to more of those guys uh, just so because of that. But everybody in there, we had a, we, I felt an instant connection with, with my classmates. I did. I, uh, 
you know, I roomed with probably four or five guys while I was there. And uh, some of them were, not many of them were dumber than me, but most of them were, uh, were funnier than me and wanted to get in trouble as much as me. And uh, we boosted each other up. So uh, I don't know. I don't know, John. I, we just, we hung together, it seemed like, uh, from the very beginning. Uh, and I knew I'd make lifelong friends there, which, which I have. Yeah, it's pretty, it's pretty unusual from what I could tell. Yeah, it, I think so, too. Uh, you know, we noticed that at one of our reunions, a, a normal 76 reunion, when we looked around the room at the, at the dinner, you know, on Saturday night, and the, the one, we had two full tables of Pink Panthers, I think probably the biggest representation of, uh, of, of graduates and their wives was, was the 36 quarter. And then when kind of everybody else was filtering out of the room to go about their business, we were still in the dining room. They had to, we closed it down. <laughs> yeah. We, we tend to do that. <laughs> in several groups, uh, one of which I'm going to see Greg Lewis again next week that I continue to, to hang out with guys. Uh, we, we zoom, all through COVID this year with, uh, you know, Pink Panther guys. And, uh, you know, you just keep those tight friendships a long time. And uh, uh, we were lucky. I think you and I were lucky to be in the squadron we were in. I think so, too. And I and I attribute a lot of that to people like you with the great sense of humor and the great sense of uh, people skills. Oh, man. Thank you. I appreciate that. I, I uh like I say, that that place hones a lot of things, and if <clears throat> if you can't get your people skills up to up to speed there, then you're not trying. In fact, one one of your most impressive people skill accomplishments that I recall was going from uh, the most famous moon in the history of the world to a cadet squadron commander in the same year. How did you do? How did you pull those two stunts off? Oh gosh. Hey, I, I did it by by by, by doing it uh, discreetly. <laughs> you know, you had to. <clears throat> I don't know, John. This is this is you know top secret to all the the, the boys there. But I I actually this is embarrassing. But I actually escaped. <laughs> I escaped that place without without uh, a tour, and I don't know how I did it, except for uh, you had to pick your pick your times to do things. And then when it was time to run, you had to be in really good shape and you had to outrun everybody else in the squadron and, and, and put the extra blackout on your face. I, I don't know what, whatever it was that the, uh, the mooning thing, we got pretty good at it. Uh, I even did that later on in a, in, in some, in some fighter aircraft that we won't discuss. Your flight suit off and moon in the air. Uh, but, Hey, you just gotta, you gotta play it by ear, you know, and try not to get into trouble. Cause once you do, and you start getting form tens and tours, it was funny. It kind of seemed to snowball on guys and it would, you, you would stay under, if you know what I mean. You had to oh, kind of ride on top. I lived it there for a while. It was. Uh, <laughs> yeah, you did. And, and you know what? And why didn't everybody love you so much though? I was like, <laughs> you had, you had, you had everybody's heart all the time, but it was always it was always, God, he's, he's such a great guy. He, you know, what the hell is he in trouble again now for what? <laughs> Dumber in hell. And, uh, and uh, <laughs> so. well, I, I know when we got the tour pad thing going, it was Kai and I. And we had to go from our 
dorm room all the way across the terrazzo to get your inspection. And when, by the time you got over there, you're all screwed up and they, they ding you for more tours. I, I know. That's what I mean about getting under. Um, yeah. If you can figure out how to, how to stay on top and try to not get, get it started anything bad enough to get you a tour because it's just like you say once you get one you cannot keep your shoes shined long enough to get over to the tour tour pad yeah and so you're going to get dinged again because let's face it who were the upperclassmen that were in charge of that they didn't want to be in charge so they're mad already so they're <laughs> going to write you up for everything yeah i so, lucked out when it starts snowing that's how i burned them off with confinements never having to go over there again Oh, in snow. That's right. A lot of guys walked a lot of them off in snow. Well, I, I think I served two cons uh, during my senior year for being a being a dope. Anyway, can, can you please uh, share with the crowd though the what you did to chief of staff of the Air Force? Oh God. <laughs> okay. Well, this, <clears throat> like I say, keep a low profile. Well, I didn't do so well at this. All right, I had. Uh, my roommate at the time, Greg Lewis, his father was a three button, I believe at the time in, in the Pentagon. And, um, he was, uh, would, would make visits to the Academy and he always wanted to keep a low profile. So he wouldn't really tell anybody he was coming, especially the, the, the higher ups. He just kind of, you know, fly in from, uh, from Washington, just kind of show up and come and, and see Greg. And, uh, you know, well, <clears throat> we in the squadron were, as you know, because you were in this, in fact, I think I was getting ready to moon you. No, it was we great. Would, we would, we, we'd get into a contest to, uh, you know, to see who could do the best mooning uh, on the, the surprise moons when you open the door and uh, there you are. But you had, to, you had to balance yourself real well on the sink and the, on the rifle rack and on a shelf in the closet or something, but you had to get balanced. But was just about eyeball level when the guy opened the door. That was the key to the whole thing. So uh, I think John Hope had come to my room and, no, and, no. and knocked on the door or Connors or somebody and, <laughs> and had Moon, you know, Greg and I. So I was ready. Okay. Greg was studying. I should have been studying. So I was up in position, ready to go, and there came a knock at the door, and I just knew for sure it was one of you guys. <laughs> and uh, I'm looking backwards between my legs, and the only thing, when the door opened up, the only thing I was focused on kind of was I could see stars on somebody's shoulders looking between <laughs> my legs. So <laughs> this was not a fun time for me. I jumped, I fell actually off the door sill in the <laughs> rifle rack, and I'm trying to get my pants pulled back up when the general walks in and uh, starts laughing. Greg said, I'd like to introduce you to my father, <laughs> uh, General Oliver Lewis. And I said, you know, very glad to meet you, sir. And I, I must have been a kind of an ugly color and uh, wanted to get out of that situation as fast as I could. Now, chapter two, that man ended up buying my cadet car for me later on uh in life when we got to this you know uh 1975 we were juniors just going to be seniors and we could have cars back then that was old, you know we couldn't have cars before then so uh i was looking for a corvette of a certain year certain vintage and greg dad and said hey try to find it 
Tony, try to find Jimmy a, a Corvette. Well, I got a phone call in the squadron during our, our uh, I guess that'd be what, junior year. Yeah. And the CQ came to the room and he was literally shaking. And he goes, no, there's a general on the phone that wants to talk to you. <laughs> and I kind of knew what was what was coming. So I told him, I, tell him I'm busy. I'll call him later. <laughs> and I thought, I thought he was going to start crying right there on the spot. So anyway, I went down there, took the phone call. It was this General Lewis, same guy I moon, and he had found me the car of my dreams. And uh, it had uh, turned out he bought it and I kind of bought it from him. Uh, picked it up in Arlington, Virginia. And you're not going to believe this. If I, if we were in Zoom, I could walk out my garage, that same Corvette. I still have it. Oh, way to go. Good for you. So, yeah, I mooned a general and got away with it somehow. Well, not only, a, not only that, Jimmy, but you you've fell upward and became a cadet squadron commander. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. I, th- I think the, our AOC was drunk that day. I don't, I don't know why. <laughs> Exactly how that happened, but you know, because we had really sharp commanders with Paul Prang and uh, and Jurgi. Yeah, I got last pick on when to ha- when to be able to be the squadron commander, and it was, uh, you know, the 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 graduation time frame when you were the busiest. But I I don't know. I was surprised as you, and I I I don't know. I just had so many friends in that class. And I loved everybody so much that I think it came out on the OEMs or whatever that uh, I was a pretty good guy. I don't know. I, my 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 uh, order of merit was pretty pretty high, and my grades were so low that it balanced out, and it kind of threw me in the middle of the class. Well, it was also probably they wanted to get some PR for the parachute team, right? Yeah, that was exactly what it was, I think. So, yeah, because yeah. uh, <laughs> I remember, yeah, being the commander in the last go, You've got the parade, the graduation parade. Well, I, I couldn't command the squatters so because I, I was jumping into it. Uh, <laughs> and I was not going to miss that to skydive into the and land in front of the crowd and all that and do all that fun stuff. So I think, uh, who was it, Nat? Nat led the squadron that day, Nat Milliken, and, uh, and I jumped in. And uh, that's another story is uh, the winds kind of died down on me. And uh, I was trying to make a real beautiful two-point landing right in front of my mother. And uh, I ended up sliding right into the stands almost, taking out a couple of women. I don't know. It was ugly. But, hey, <laughs> hey we were heroes. We were heroes. The, so. the best in the country. Yeah, best. Yeah, really. Trust trust us with your lives. Yeah. So the, so the parachute uh, team, the last question for them that I have for that is, uh, did you have, ever have any close calls and how did you deal with it? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, we uh, – well, we were the Wings of Blue, which is an interesting thing. It was our class. Nobody knows this, but it was our class of guys that actually uh, dreamed that up, that that name. And I drew the patch for the first time on a bar napkin, believe it or not, in the, in the bar with Greg and, and uh, Joe Wysocki. So we gave the, the team the name, the Wings of Blue. Um, the uh, I think it was my 71st jump. I took my gear home. And I wanted to show my parents that I had conquered my fear of heights. And I wanted to take them to the drop zone uh, near yours in Palatka, Florida. And uh, we, we uh, took my mom and dad over there, jumped out of an airplane, and uh, quickly had my first total malfunction. Oh, Don't wow. have any idea what, what happened. We were jumping. Uh, I was jumping a 
uh, a square canopy uh, that sh- everything should have worked perfect. Uh, it didn't work so good. And I was looking up at nothing but like a, uh, a sleeve full of goo above uh-huh. me. So, hey, uh, I, you know, I don't know, but we just had the best training. It's like everything they did there. You, you, if it was jumping, if it was flying, whatever, you kind of did it, ex- uh, you know, uh, out of instinct. Uh, it was almost like muscle memory. It didn't bother me a bit. Uh, the whole world kind of slowed down. I did a cutaway and uh, pulled my reserve out. And I still, on my reserve, I did a stand-up landing in front of my mom and dad. Uh, <laughs> you know, and, and, and uh, both of them were scared to death because they thought, that, you know, they didn't know that you could cut away. So when I yeah. fell from what that goo was above my head, they thought I was going to bounce somewhere. So, yeah, uh, they, they, they enjoyed that. They said, please don't ask us to watch you do that again. <laughs> the, the flying wall in with the ta-da landing. Ta-da! Yeah. <laughs> We had a gorilla. We had a we had a stuffed gorilla that I store, and we called him Pararilla because we built. You know how cadets on whack use can can dream stuff up. We <laughs> built him uh, a harness and a parachute out of parachute material. We all had like riggers tickets, so we were all good on the sewing machine. So we fixed him up with a jumpsuit, a you know a log book. He had like forty jumps when he when when I graduated. Because we throw him out of the airplane all the time. Well, <laughs> warmed him up by throwing him off the off the top of the, uh, you know, out of the whoever was up above us, thirty fifth squadron or wherever. We throw him out of the window up there, and somebody catch him down in the quads uh, to make sure the parachute would work. So <clears throat> anyway, we out of the airplanes, and he had about ten jumps under his belt when when uh, the boss in charge, the guy said, he said, hey, this is a motivator. Pararilla is kind of a motivator for the new guys. So it was during the summer, we had brand new guys out on the drop zone that were being briefed on how to get on the airplane. It was our first jump. And they had, they said, these are our instructors. And uh, we came flying by in the, in the U4Bs and we were going to jump out and do a little show for them. But the, but the first pass was to get the wind drift. Sure. Instead of instead of using instead of using the flag like we u- usually did, we would use para, <laughs> we'd use Pararilla. So we'd throw him out, and then uh, right in front of all these guys, these young impressionable <laughs> guys that want to learn how to jump out of airplanes, that was the first total malfunction that Pararilla ever had. He had successful jumps later on. Yeah, yeah. Well, they all bounce, right? <laughs> No, no. He, actually, that thing, I don't know why the parachute didn't work that time, but it, uh, he had problems on that one. The one that counted right in front of everybody is where uh, he had a total. But, yeah, yeah well, hey, that stuff happens. But he didn't know how to do a cutaway. That was his problem. <laughs> there you go. And then you, you said you thought of quitting as a dually. Anything after that? No. Uh, you know, after that, I was so deeply involved in uh, – and staying out of trouble, the academics, um, the, uh, you know, parachute team and yeah. the intramural stuff that I don't know. I just kind of, kind of rode on top, you know, I kind of enjoyed that. And it kept me from being from, I felt like I was fitting in and I wanted to, to stay. And so, and every time I would go home, I remember trying to talk to friends uh, that were in my it was a small hometown at that time and try to tell them what I was experiencing. Cause I said, you guys won't believe this. You know, I've already flown a jet airplane and 
they, they let us jump out of airplanes and that, and uh, it's like literally talking to uh to the wall. They don't they didn't understand you know anything about it. Yeah. So it it really made me motivated though to experience everything that I possibly could. Uh, you know, don't let the place get you down. Try to see it for you know what it could be. Uh, try to stay out of trouble academically. That was my biggest problem. And then, uh, you know, make it the graduation because then, you know, we throw up our hats and then, then the real adventure starts as it turns out. <laughs> yeah. Now, did, the last question on cadet life, third lieutenant, did you do that at all? Or was it oh, jumping? yeah. I loved it. This was uh, kind of a God thing. In fact, I um, remember how we put in for where we wanted to go and, you know, whatever. I don't know how they picked all that, but I ended up um, being able to go to Europe. And uh, my third lieutenant was to Torajon Air Base in Spain, and it was an F-4 uh, base, the Phantom. They were flying F-4Cs at the time. And uh, I was assigned to the 614th Pack Fighter Squad in the Red Devils. Uh, we hung around. We, we learned stuff on how they did things and all that. And, uh, found out that they were kind of on their butts for maintenance and that we were not going to be able to get a ride in an F-4. So I said, Hey, you know, I'm an enterprising young cadet. I went down to the 613th squadron and, uh, to see if I could get a ride with them. Turned out they, they were going to let us have rides. And so, you know, we, me and I think Harry Dutchison was there maybe. Uh, anyway, the, the guys that were managed to get to Torhone on third lieutenant were waiting for our F4 ride when, uh, I don't know if it was weather or maintenance, but it, you know, it shut us out again. So uh, I ended up calling around and somebody in the, in the base operation said, call Zaragoza. They're close to here and they've got a helicopter unit. And I said, man, I'll fly a helicopter. That sounds fun. So I called them up and those guys in the rescue uh, helicopters, they, they flew rescue for uh, the bombing range up there for the Phantoms. They came to Torhone, picked me up on the ramp, and took me back to Zaragoza. And I ended up flying the helicopters for two weeks. It was way cool. Oh, that's um, great. That worked. But you know what was funny is my very first assignment in the United States Air Force active duty uh, after I trained. Uh, so as a combat pilot, was at Torhone Air Base, Spain, in the 613th Tac Fighter Squadron. That was my first assignment. So it was like, oh, my gosh, this is a... This is a, uh, you know, karma. So you finally got your, uh, your F4 ride, but you had to be the pilot by then, right? Yeah. Yeah, really. <laughs> That's another story too. You talk about, you know, screaming, at, just hanging on for dear life and screaming at the top of your lungs. That's kind of the way I did my very first flight at, at McDill Air Force Base. So what was, awesome. that all about? what was that all about? No, just, just, uh, you know, we had no idea. We've been flying what T-37s, T-38s. Then we went to fight our lead in. They had AT 38s. Uh, yeah, they got an afterburner, but I, they got, the, the, you know, uh, not a real big kick. And uh, so we get to uh, McDill's where I learned how to fly F 4s uh, in the 61st squadron there for, uh, for teaching you how to fly F 4s. And uh, we'd had a simulator or two. Anyway, it came time for our first ride. And, and my instructor, Hi Ho Silver was his name. Hi Ho <laughs> was his call sign. Uh, anyway, he said, uh, "Listen, now this thing's got a little, you know, it jumps a little better than the 38, and we've got a 4,000 foot altitude restriction on takeoff that you must meet 
because of uh, traffic at Tampa International Airport. So when you're when you're coming off the ground, just be ready for that uh, thrust thrust reduction and you know uh, turn out of traffic so you don't <laughs> exceed four thousand feet. I remember when I put that that son of a bitch in afterburner, <laughs> it pinned me against the seat, and literally I felt like I was hanging on and screaming the whole way through the climb. We we saw four thousand feet going like I thought straight up. I <laughs> wasn't even close. Yeah, and uh, and I had to basically roll upside down and get down uh, down to altitude so I wouldn't you know bust through their airspace too bad. But that. That was uh, my first introduction to the F4C Phantom. Anyway, you, you did tour home for four years, and then you decided to move all the way up to Alkenbury. Is that right? Yeah. What the, the deal was on that is the follow-on assignments out of uh, out of there were um, guys were trying to get another active duty uh, assignment, and as you remember, the Air Force changes from time to time as to where they need to put guys. Uh, I know currently they are hurting for pilots and they will be for a long time. So if you want to fly, you need to do it. You need to do this now. Uh, but at the time they were trying to put us in staff jobs when we left there. Anyway, I applied for um, uh, the aggressor squadron and they had uh, four of them. Two of them were at, in Las Vegas at Nellis Air Force Base. One was in uh, Clark Air Base in the Philippines. Uh, for the PACAF guys, and uh, the other one was in Europe at RAF Alkenbury, and uh, they flew F5Es, and uh, I put in for, for that. I flew uh, against their squadron a couple of times when they visited Torahone uh, when I was flying F4s, got to meet some of the guys, and I put in my package, and I got selected uh, to, to be an aggressor, so uh, that, that was, I, I thought, was like the epitome of you know, being able to be a fighter weapons school guy. It's like being a top gun guy. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, I went to, uh, I was really lucky. I was a lucky guy. I went from Torajon, Spain to um, Washington, DC for a classified program for a little while. Uh, then I went to Dallas Air Force Base to do uh, six months worth of fighter weapons school in the uh, F-5 and as an aggressor. And then I uh, showed back up at RAF Alcambury and spent four more years there uh, as a, a European aggressor, flying well, not only with NATO countries, uh, France, uh, Spain, uh, Germany, uh, not only flying with them, but flying with all of our assets over there, the F-15s out of yeah. Uh, F-4s out of Torhone, the F-16s out of, uh, you know, Germany. So I ended up flying uh, at a lot of different bases and absolutely loved Europe. So that was a real adventure for my wife and I. We spent uh, about eight and a half years in wow. Europe, and they, they took us out of there w dragging our heels. We were kicking and screaming. They dragged you all the way to leave. Georgia. Yeah, that was a cultural change. <laughs> uh, from uh, My daughter had just I had, – had, I had all my kids over, overseas. One was born in Spain. And the other three were born in England. And they're, they're very proud of that uh, all through their high school years. But anyway um, – so, see, you can still have a family when you're in the Air Force. It's just that uh, things happen to them. She she learned how to speak Brit, uh, believe it or not, in the U.K., because they start uh, school real quickly early on. So I think she was like three or four when she started school there in preschool. Uh, we moved back to uh, the United States of America 
uh, and uh, got a got stationed at Moody Air Force Base in Georgia, Valdosta, Georgia, where, as you know, I grew up in the South. Uh, the accent is a bit different than it is in the United Kingdom. <laughs> so my daughter spoke fluent Brit. Hello. Uh, so when we we <laughs> she went to school the first day, I remember I remember her coming home in tears and uh, complaining to her mom that uh, mommy. They don't understand what I'm saying. So <laughs> she had to kind of adapt. And literally within a week, within a week, she was speaking Southern Bell. Wow. So, yeah. So, yeah, Torrejon, Spain. Flew, uh, I'm sorry. I'm from Torrejon to Alconbury, Alconbury to Moody, Moody Air Force Base. I flew F-4Es uh, for one year and then transitioned to the F-16C uh, and D. Uh, did that. So you went to Langley still F-16s or was that the staff job? That was my staff job, you know, the dreaded staff job. It ended up being a, uh, a really good one, which helped me out later on in life. But I didn't think so at the time because I wanted I was one of them. I, I got to fly all the time. But this was a non-flying job, but I was working some pretty classified programs and requirements. Uh, I got to work on the F-35, believe it or not, which was just literally on the drawing board. It was called the FX. Uh, F-22 helped design the uh, the defenses for the F-22 uh, for, uh, you know, self-defense stuff. Um, so I got to do some really neat projects there. Uh, F-16 Block 40 stuff helped me and, and heads up displays. Uh, helped me later on, believe it or not, uh, the way this works is you get trained when you're in the Air Force to do that job. And then it helps later on. Uh, FedEx hired me to do a test pilot to help them put HUDs in their airplanes. So, huh. too. so I, I actually did flight tests as an airline pilot. So that, that worked out pretty slick. Yeah, I, I was going to ask about that in a minute. But the last okay. thing was you were doing Nellis aggressors. Yeah, we, uh, I, I uh, was trying to get, my, get an assignment out of the staff. Um, there were few and far between. I think our classmate Greg Lewis was working assignments uh, at, a, at the time, and he was kind of depressed because he couldn't help anybody out. But I, I had a chance to go to uh, Kunsan, Korea, uh, and be the operations officer of a squadron there in F-16. So I was going to do that until a buddy called me from Nellis, from the aggressors, and we were together at Tor Home, believe it or not. And uh, he said, uh, "Hey, I'm I'm losing my operations officer. How'd you like to come down here and be my opso?" Wow. And so, yeah, I I, I was fortuitous on that. I kind of fell into that job. And um, the long and short of it is, uh, went to Nellis Air Force Base. Um, kind of went through another a mini aggressor program down there to get me up to speed, and then became the operations officer of the aggressors there flying red flag uh missions and i i actually retired from that job so 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 i'm curious what got you to retire from that job and go to fedex oh you know that was another god thing i you know i i got there and uh the the flying was great uh the the movement out of there wasn't as great as i thought because it turned out there was a whole bunch of guys uh we were kind of top heavy and uh, there was a whole bunch of guys fighting for assignments to get out of there. I had fully planned on staying 30 years. I mean, no kidding. I'll, as long as they let me fly, I was going to stay until they wouldn't let me fly anymore. Um, and whatever it took. And the assignment that I actually got out of there 
was a non-flying job to uh, Naples, Italy, and I'd be working for a general who I had met when I was on the staff at Langley. And I won't mention names, but I didn't care to go work with him again. Uh, <laughs> he did not care to work with me again, I'm sure. But I was going to be his uh, exec uh, and uh, make a lot of rank and everything. But I wasn't going to fly and I couldn't take my family. So I politely, I asked a, uh, a senior a senior enlisted guy. By the way, any if I could give one piece of advice to these young guys that are graduating you get into a squadron or you get into a unit. I don't care if it's a missile unit, a drone unit, uh, if it's CBPO, if it's personnel, whatever it is. You find the most senior enlisted guy and you absolutely tie yourself to him or her. And they will keep you out of trouble and they'll teach you the ropes. So I, uh, I got the advice from a, a senior uh, master sergeant uh, who told me that uh, there was a lot of jobs out there to be had. That if I didn't want to do that job in uh, Naples, that my, you know, he showed me what my pay was going to be and all this other stuff. And I asked him point blank, what do you think I ought to do? And uh, he uh, closed the door and he sat back down. He said, uh, sir, this is no longer staff sergeant to lieutenant colonel. Uh, this is me to you. And I went, that's the way I want it. And he said, you're a dumbass if you don't get out and go to FedEx. <laughs> So I took his advice and, uh, and, uh, I literally, John, another God thing. I literally got checked out at federal express, uh, went through school as an engineer on the 727 before I went back and got, had my retirement. That's how much leave I had saved up. And wow. I, I was able to, have two jobs at the same time, kind of uh, being on leave, uh, terminal leave from the Air Force. Uh, so I went back after that, uh, did my going away party and, you know, last F-16 flight, said goodbye to the Air Force. And I was already flying with uh, with FedEx. And I my first uh, base of operation, I lived in Las Vegas, was out of Oakland, California. And as you know, the jump you know, to get from Oakland or from Las Vegas to Oakland is nothing. That's an yeah. easy, easy commute. Uh, and when I, and you'd love this, I, I ended up taking advantage of the fact that, you know, I was a retired Air Force, so I could stay on the base there at uh, oh, whatever the name of that base is at Oakland. Uh, the Naval Alameda. Base. Yeah, Alameda. Alameda. Navy Alameda. I could stay in the BOQ there and hang out while I was sitting reserved. So it, I mean, worked out slick. Um, and, uh, then we finally ended up moving to Memphis, Tennessee, uh, uh, for me to do the flight test work. And that's where I stayed for 22 years. Now I understand two, two more things I wanted to ask you about your FedEx deal. One was you had an interesting interview. Yeah. Um, they wanted to know, you know, when I want to talk to all these guys that are listening to this and, <laughs> and you, and you want to do an interview, uh, I can teach you how to do interviews. Okay. There's plenty of people that will, that, that will take a lot of your money that will tell you how to pass the interview. Call me. I don't charge you a thing. Maybe it's maybe some scotch, but <laughs> um, they're going to ask you not just what you succeeded at. They want to know what you didn't succeed at and how did you manage that? And if you hadn't thought that through, you need to. Uh, I was asked, uh, 
by the guys that interviewed me for FedEx, there were six of us, uh, three Navy guys, uh, two civilians and me, uh, that did the simulator. We passed the simulator portion. We're doing the interview, uh, in our suits and ties. And they asked me, what's the, what's the smartest decision you ever made as a Colonel? And I said, well, you know, I, uh, I, you know, I, some, something that we, that we did in my squadron one time and, and ended up saving us on a bit of inspection. And it was an idea that I had. So I said, that was, that was a good decision. It turned out real well. So then they said, what was the worst decision you ever made? <laughs> and I tell you, I had some of them uh, <laughs> that were flooding my mind at the time. But the only thing that came out of my mouth literally was babysitting for my twin daughters with my wife out of town when I'm trying to watch a Seattle Seahawks football game. That was the worst decision I ever made in my life. He said, they said, what do you mean? Still there? I'm here. <laughs> what do you mean by that? So I said, uh, well, the deal is, is I had a buddy over there. We had a few beers. We're watching this pro football game. Uh, my wife told me in no uncertain terms, you wake them up at this time. At three o'clock, you wake them up. They're twin daughters. They're in the same room. Each one's got their own little crib. And you open the door, wake them up, and feed them, and then let them go back to sleep if they want to. But otherwise, don't let them sleep or stay in there. So I said, okay, I got it. I, I can do this. I can do this. Well, it came around about 3 o'clock. I'm listening to the door. Don't hear anything. I kind of made the command decision to go back with my buddy and have another beer and watch some more football. So about 30 minutes later, I checked again. I hear a little giggling behind the door, but I'm thinking, oh, they're having fun. Nobody's crying. I left them, came back, watched a little more football. Finally, I said, yeah, I'm going to have to get these guys up and feed them. So uh, I'd already made the decision to delay this twice, but I heard giggling and laughing and a little commotion in there. And when I walked in, my two daughters were standing there in their cribs, naked, slinging full diapers at each other. In literally the shit show of my life, I have never <laughs> seen anything like that. It, it, caught, it literally was on the walls, the ceilings, on each other, and uh, in the ceiling fan. So I, I uh, screamed, and this buddy of mine came back there, and he goes, "Up, oh, I'm going home." So <laughs> I had to, I had to literally throw the furniture, and my my daughters, they were baby kids, I stood them out the window. And then went out and I was hosing everything down when my wife came, drove up. So uh, that was the worst decision I ever made in my life. When they stopped laughing, they hired me on the spot. <laughs> the FedEx guys. Then uh, that's, a, that's a great story. Then the, the other, uh, and I've only heard the rumor of this. So if, if I'm off base, you can tell me. But you had a famous flyby? Oh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> that was interesting also uh i think it was you know what it's funny how your memory works but it was one of our big reunions i believe it was the 20th it might have been the 15th but i had been in europe for at least the first two of the class of 76 reunions at, in colorado springs and i hated it because i could not you know i couldn't get back uh and take the time off to go so i wanted to go to this one well uh, when I got back to the to the states, and I ended up, uh, I don't know why we missed the uh, next one or whatever. But by, when the twentieth rolled around, I was working at FedEx, and uh, I was on the seven twenty seven, 
the um, our boss, uh, you may have heard of Fred Smith, uh, kind yeah. of important guy in, in uh, politics today. He was the uh, CEO and chairman, and still is, of uh, FedEx. And uh, at the time, he said, hey, I've got some good friends out there, and they're going to be at this uh, football game, and uh, I would like you guys to take the 727 and go do a flyby. And uh, he said, listen, you do however you think is safe and however you want to do it, uh, and I will back you up. And so he kind of winked at all three of us. And uh, so we went there, and between me and the captain and the, and the engineer, we, uh, we were flying in to the stadium right behind a uh, P-51, who, who, who I don't know who gave him the, uh, the watch and the uh, – he had a Timex watch he was trying to time us with. He didn't have a, you know, GPS or anything. But behind us, we had all these highfalutin, you know, F-111s and uh, F-15s and everybody. But it was me orbiting right there over the, the, uh, the area where – where was it? Everybody used to, all the uh, instructors lived, uh, South Valley or whatever. It was right there by the stadium. Uh, we are orbiting at about 2,000 feet above the ground. Uh, they got calls later on saying that a 727 must have crashed. They were so low. <laughs> we're waiting for the P-51 to fly by. And he literally flew right by us and waved. And I, you know, we, I said, I'm flying. I'm turning right back around and heading in because we're, we're supposed to be literally 20 seconds behind. So we turn around. As you know, big airplanes don't turn like F-16, F so we're running about 10 to 15 seconds late. So I've got it pushed all the way up, and we're coming down in there and dropping down and dropping down and dropping down. And we literally turned left out of the housing area because they didn't want us flying over the hospital. Then we had to come back right to realign ourselves with the goalposts. <laughs> Well, I, I thought I was, you know, whatever the legal limit at the time was. We, I don't know what we were supposed to, probably 500 feet, but we were below that. Okay. But I, I got a line back up through the goalpost on the, uh, would that be the north end, I guess, going north to south and flew down and then pulled up on the south end. Uh, and of course, we every every uh, uh, alarm in the airplane was going off uh, as far as too low and uh, negative. All warning, horn, all, all, yeah. warning, all this. So we literally just kind of rolled it off and uh, just came around and went back up to uh, Peterson Field and landed. And so I thought, well, you know, I guess that went okay. So we <laughs> walked around the airplane, made sure we weren't missing any rivets or you know nothing came off the airplane. Uh, and then we're waiting for the call from the boss and uh turns out there was a captain that was on i wasn't a captain yet uh, the captain got the phone call and we're all standing there waiting to see if we still have jobs or not uh and he, he was smiling and he said yes sir yes sir and he hung up the phone he said gentlemen uh the best flyby they'd ever seen there was one guy on top of the press box that we knocked down but we don't care <laughs> and uh my my uh, my roommate in college was impressed, so he said, "Any any uh, problems from the FAA or anybody out of this, I'll handle it." So we figured, "Hey, we're bulletproof. This is awesome. This is our boss. This big yeah boss. yeah." So I go back to the game now because it's like uh, that was uh, that was halftime, I guess. Anyway, we we get back over there and it's still like the last of the third quarter, and I want to see some of the football. So I come sneaking in up there. I finally find you guys 
all the all the, all the, all the pink panthers or the 76 guys i guess because uh, it's different squatters are sitting in that one section over there on that side so i come up behind them uh and as i'm walking down to try to find my wife uh who's at the game willie palms i'll never forget this our classmate willie uh, he had made it to the reunion. He was also a FedEx pilot. He came over and hugged me. He grabbed me, hugged me. He said, that's the best flyby I've ever seen. <laughs> and I went, oh no. It was, it, was it, was it scary or whatever? He goes, we all, we saw the top of the airplane. So, <laughs> well, you know, I'm going down there and, and I see Jack Catton and, uh, you know, all of our classmates and they're all cheering saying, oh, wow. You guys are going to be in so much trouble. How did you, what did you, so I, I kind of kept a low profile as best I could and, and waited to get fired and uh, we never did. So yeah, ended up being, I guess, a pretty good flyby. There wasn't a single movie of it. There wasn't a single picture. So I can't prove it. All I know is, is that uh, at our last reunion, that was number 40, I think. Yep. Um, in, uh, it's halftime. I am down buying a Coke. And I'm coming back up, and the guys behind me, a man's talking to his son. I didn't recognize him at first. We had had a flyby that day, and it was an SR-71 or something. I don't know. It was oh, so high. We had the F-30, F-35s, I think it was. That was the deal. Okay. All right. I don't know, but they were so high, you couldn't even hardly see them. Yeah. Okay, fine. So everybody was legal. But these guys behind me, as I'm carrying my cokes back up the steps, one of them says to the other one, "Boy, you should have been you should have been at the re, our reunion and uh, you know our twentieth reunion." Uh, Jimmy Doe flew us flew a seven twenty seven between the goalposts. I mean, the stories had grown so big. <laughs> that I didn't even turn around. I was I wasn't even going to turn around and see who it was. But uh, the word got around, and uh, so yeah. Well, I'm glad. I'm glad. We were- I'm- I'm I'm sorry I missed that reunion, but I'm glad to know you. You are. Oh, don't be too glad. You know, <laughs> you know yeah. don't be too impressed. I tell you, I'm uh, probably the least impressive guy of our in our whole squadron. But I sure enjoyed being with you guys. You you were you were the life of the party half the time, and I and I'm I'm grateful that you are still around and kicking well. And sounds like you're doing good. And I I'm gonna hang up now. Sounds sounds me and thank you please give my love to your wife uh to anybody that you see out there that i know and uh tell them that all our family is covid free right now i've got 11 grandbabies <laughs> wow and uh and uh we're loving life so take care johnny thank you I, for the call and thank I, you for the opportunity I, I,